0: From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, February 8th, 2018. This is episode 41 Grandma's House. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am Jason Snell, your host as always. I'm joined by two wonderful guests returning to the show, Natalie Jarvie, tech and digital media writer for The Hollywood Reporter.
1: Welcome back. Hello. Thanks
0: for having me. And it's, it's uh, we're going to be talking a lot about corporate earnings, which I, I, last time I spoke to you, we had the, a moment where I was like, oh, this is a fellow traveler who sits on earnings calls and pays attention oh. to what corporate earnings are all about. Uh, I wish
1: I didn't have to. Let me tell you. It's not the
0: best. I mean, I only really do it for Apple and the others. I just pay attention to kind of like a little more vaguely. And it's just it's not my favorite thing. It's not what I got into this business to do. But, you know, it there's information. That it's good. You got to do it. You got to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Also, also here. Uh, Shelley Brisbane, the author of iOS Access for All. And a, uh, a former colleague from, uh, I'm not going to even say how long ago. Hi, Shelley.
2: <laughs> Hi, Jason. And I don't follow earnings as a matter of course, so I'm a civilian looking in from the outside. But boy, I do a lot of reading for this show. <laughs>
0: Smart move. Smart move. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Hackett is also here. He is actually in an undisclosed location due to, uh, we're not going to even get into it, but he is here and paying attention, but we may not hear from him for a while. Uh, you still just listen. Hi, Stephen. Sorry. It's been a
3: very complicated thing. Thursday so far
0: yeah all right <laughs> But, we're here, but the show must go on, and here we are, so right. uh, let's get to it. The most interesting stories of this week, uh, and and I'll point out, the world of technology and other stuff you care about is what, what I say at the top of the show, and you, there's stuff I care about that's later on that's not quite technology, but we'll talk about it. But we'll start with corporate results. Um, all of the tech giants are reporting in, and I was building a list of links that we'll put in the show notes, and uh, I, I discovered, of course, that Natalie Jarvie has written about almost all of them <laughs> at the Hollywood Reporter um where do you want to start you want to start with netflix and what's what's up with netflix
1: yeah i mean it's been like two or three weeks since netflix reported it feels like ages ago so let's uh we can we can remind people what happened um You know, we keep waiting for them to to show some slowdown in growth, and it's just not happening. They're up to nearly 118 million worldwide subscribers now, uh, and they just don't seem to be slowing down, uh, which is is crazy. Um, You know, fourth quarter is especially a big quarter for them because they released The Crown, Stranger Things, and the Will Smith movie Bright. So I think that's kind of what drove um, you know the growth that we saw on the subscriber front. Um, Uh, During the quarter. But the most interesting thing that they disclosed was that they had to take a $39 million write down on quote unreleased content we've decided (laughs) not to move forward with, which.
0: It's Kevin a lot Spacey. Smart-
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> um, that is Kevin Spacey content. So, you know, uh, for people who haven't been following it as closely as as I have, they had to suspend production on House of Cards after allegations came out about Kevin Spacey on some sexual assault and harassment allegations. And uh, they ultimately decided to write him out of the show. He's not coming back, and they've cast a whole bunch of new people to fill his place, and Robin Wright will be you kind know, of the star of the show for its final season. And so they had to, uh, you know, they had to scrap pretty much anything that they had been working on uh, prior to that. Uh, he also had a movie uh, that a Gore Vidal movie that he was working on with them that uh, will no longer go forward. So that's what that write down was all about.
0: So Netflix keeps spending lots and lots of money on content, and and. It is it is seeing growth. I, I guess the one thing that I always see and reported by Netflix that, that that tempers all of this is this feeling like that they have a lot of debt and that they're they're spending so much money to do the growth, but at some point they need to convert into being in into being uh, into profitability mode where they they can ride what they're uh, what they're building. Um, is that is that happening yet, or are they still just in let's spend lavishly to build up as large a user base as we can?
1: Definitely not happening yet. Uh, you know they're going to spend eight billion on content this year. That includes all originals and all licensing. They also announced that they're upping their marketing budget. Netflix has been notoriously stingy when it comes to marketing, and they finally said, "Oh hey, guess what? When we when we put out billboards, when we release trailers." people actually come and watch our stuff. Maybe Mm. this is a good idea. So they're going to spend more on marketing. So, you know, yeah, we're waiting for that moment and, and it hasn't hit yet, but you know, we'll talk about Amazon later. They're a prime example of a company that was given a lot of leeway to not be profitable for a very long time and kind of figure things out. So I don't think wall street's concerned yet. I mean, their stock price just keeps going up. Um, Netflix's market cap hit a hundred billion after they reported earnings. So, you know, People people seem happy with them for the time being.
0: Shelley, you have any thoughts about, about Netflix? Feel free to jump in at any time here. I know that this sure. isn't your well, favorite thing, I, but, uh, you know. It's yeah. not
2: that it's not my favorite thing. It's just that I have lo- loads less knowledge than uh, than Natalie, so I'll just <laughs> fess up to that right now. Um, I was intrigued by the, the $39 million, bucks, um, and I was wondering whether that will uh, eventually create a new category of insurance that a company will have to get, uh, bad actors of various kinds, whether it be for sexual harassment or whatever reason, Uh because that's that's a an awful lot of money on one project, but obviously House of Cards was a pretty big uh, item for Netflix. The other thing I noticed way, way down in the tiny small print, uh, just for your grandma, uh, three million people still get DVDs from Netflix. So I just thought that was an interesting number.
1: I, I know some young, hip millennials who still like to get their Netflix DVDs. So <laughs> now, well, you know, can, can
2: you get the Netflix originals on DVDs? Because it's been a long time since I've done that. So I don't know if you can, you can binge watch DVDs or whether it's just what limited movie material Netflix has.
1: You know, I actually don't know the answer to that. But I, I think that my, my friends who still get the DVDs like it because there's not a lot of competition for those DVDs these days. And you can get like, you know, the entire season of Friends or something like that and watch it. Um, I don't know. Hi.
3: Yeah, we still get the DVDs because we've got young kids, and a lot of, especially like Disney stuff, isn't um, streaming. But sometimes you can get ah. the DVDs. I guess that'll change with, when Disney's streaming service comes out. But we're we're one of those uh, three million three million households, I guess.
2: Well, and that's another streaming service you're going to have to buy then, right, Stephen?
3: I, I, I know, <laughs> I know. It's, it keeps adding up. <laughs> so we can go. Steven's house is also grandma's house now.
0: It turns it turns out. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing to think about how Netflix was so troubled at one point when they did the whole quick. Thing and then they backed out on that, and everybody's sort of like, "What is wrong with Netflix?" And since then, honestly, it has been uh, Netflix is. I mean, we we can talk about their profitability and how much money they're spending on originals, but you can't deny that they are huge and growing. I mean, that strategy is working. There is that you know question about like, what do you do with it once you've got it? If you're the dog that catches the police car or whatever, (laughs) like what happens then? What do you do with the car once you caught it? But, um, but there's no denying its success. And internationally, uh, one thing I noticed, Natalie, is that um, they said that their international, the way they do their accounting, there's like profit contribution lines, and mm-hmm. that their international uh, contributed a profit uh, in 2017 for the first time. So the, the success of Netflix growing its audience outside the United States, it seems to finally be uh, paying off for them, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Netflix also increased their prices last year. And uh, this last quarter was the first time we saw the effects of that. And it did not slow down their growth at all. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, what they can do to ultimately, um, you know, kind of uh, slow all all the debt and, and, and focus on profitability. I mean, they there seems like there's room for them to continue to raise prices and people mm-hmm. will still pay for Netflix. So... It's hard to give up Netflix. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a good position for them to be in. Um, what else? What about Amazon? What's uh, what, what, what's your take on the Amazon Amazon results?
1: Yeah, you know, so I, I mentioned that when we were talking about Netflix because you know here this was this company that was known for being unprofitable and you know Bezos kept saying I'm just not worried about it. We'll turn on profitability eventually, and he's finally done it. I mean, and he did it a while ago, but they've consistently now reported a profit every single quarter for the last several quarters. So that's really Really, a change in kind of how people think about Amazon as a business. Um, they they had a huge quarter. Holiday uh, shopping season is always going to be a big one for them. Uh, they had sixty point five billion in revenue. That was up almost forty percent year over year. A lot of that has to do with their whole foods acquisition, which was really interesting. Uh, they also, you know, gotta love Amazon. They, they managed to obscure as much information as possible. They say more new members joined Amazon prime video in 2017 than any previous year, but that's all we're going to get when it comes to Amazon (laughs) prime subscribers. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting for the day that we finally, you know, get a little bit more insight into that. But, uh, fortunately. <laughs>
0: don't, he, don't hold your breath there. <laughs> this is the famous, I mean, we make jokes all the time because um, Apple does this with Apple watch sales about, uh, about the Bezos charts that mm-hmm. the Jeff Bezos is, uh, he loves uh, putting up Amazon charts and Amazon loves talking about things in relative terms and not disclosing any numbers, which they don't have to do. And so they don't. So they'll, they just said, you know, like the Amazon echo did really well and prime is really growing and that's great, but we don't know anything more than that about what they're doing. like, They just don't want to share and they don't have to until they're mandated to share by a federal regulation of some sort. They're just not going to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's worth pointing out, though, that they broke out Amazon Prime Video as something that you could buy separately. And, and I, most of the people I talked to are Prime subscribers, so they didn't even know that that's a thing. But for me, uh, that was where it got interesting, because it's not particularly expensive. It's less than Netflix. As somebody who loves back catalog stuff, just on a personal level, Amazon Prime Video is a really good deal, uh, even if you don't want to get as far uh, under the covers with Amazon as to have a Prime subscription and all the other uh, things one might have have uh, from them. So ha- having video separated out, whether it's actually a profit center for them in the way that they express it or not, we don't know. But as as a consumer offering, I think it's really interesting. And, and the other thing I'll just say, uh, AWS uh, re- showed a profit, and that reflects the diversification of Amazon as a company, of course. Uh, I think it's interesting. There's somebody in my house who's been uh, looking for the through the technical job listings lately, and uh, AWS as a technical skill and uh, knowledge requirement is growing out there in the uh, in the world of software engineers so I thought that was interesting too because uh, obviously ALBS has a pretty prime position forgive the expression <laughs> uh, in that marketplace and uh, having the skills to manage that in an enterprise uh, seems like that's becoming more and more important and that can only be good for Amazon
0: yeah, it's it's a huge part of their their business and a huge part of the internet that people don't even know that Amazon servers power a massive amount of the internet. And we find that out because occasionally there's a server outage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, why are all my favorite sites down? And it's like, because they're there's all a running on Amazon. Yeah. Right. That's right.
1: I wanted to make one point about the the Prime Video uh, subscription that you mentioned, the fact that you can buy that separately now. I think that that's really interesting, too, for Amazon's international growth because, you know, they were able to roll out, prime video as a standalone subscription in a lot of countries where prime shipping isn't necessarily a thing or they don't have the infrastructure for that yet. So, so that's kind of an interesting, you know, opportunity for them to, especially when we look at, you know, Netflix and their, uh, you know, international growth, hmm. uh, that has allowed Amazon to, uh, grow prime subscribers, prime video subscribers pretty substantially, uh, you know, around the world.
0: Uh, let's talk about Facebook. How about that? What is? It looks like Facebook is still growing, although it's not. Its its usage is down in the in the U.S., which was interesting.
1: Yeah, so there were a couple interesting things. You know, Facebook had a, a rough 2017 to say the least, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you know Mark Zuckerberg is famous for these different goals that he. You know, sets for himself learning Mandarin or visiting every state in the country. And, and this year, his goal was to fix Facebook. So that tells you about kind of what they're <laughs> dealing with right now. Um, and so it was interesting to see that they lost 1 million daily active users in the U.S., even though overall they're still growing. Um, they actually lost users in the U.S. And they reported that people are spending 50 million hours less per day on Facebook than they were previously. And that equates to about two minutes per person. So it's not, you know, a ton of time, but it is interesting. And, you know, it goes back to this this challenge that Facebook is trying to address, which is that people aren't spending as much time on their platform. People are frustrated by the rampant fake news and by, you know, the ability of, you know, Russian operatives to, to use it to spread propaganda. And Facebook is really having to look at why this is happening and what they need to do to fix it. And they've they've ultimately said that they're going to focus more on uh, interactions between family and friends, between your network. They're going to prioritize those kinds of posts within your newsfeed, and they're going to deprioritize news and videos. You know, Zuckerberg was for a while really into, you know, live video and things like that. And now he's kind of saying, actually, you know, a viral video is not that interesting to us because people aren't going to engage with that. They're not going to share it. They're not going to comment on it. It's not going to, to do anything for us beyond, okay, I'm going to sit here and watch this you know, 30-second video. Uh, so he has also said that that these changes that they're making are going to result in, in less engagement on the platform. And we're starting to kind of see that bear fruit in these fourth quarter earnings. And that will probably only increase as the year goes on.
2: I'm feeling like uh, they are putting a kind of a spin on the reduction of, of time spent on the site, a little bit similar to what Microsoft did back in the days when they uh, comprised a, more of a monopoly than they did and they then they wanted to be seen as doing. And so they would say things like, hey, there are free alternatives to what we provide or Apple's really awesome. Let's put some money into it. And, and it feels a little bit like Facebook would like to take advantage of the fact that there's a bit of a downtick so that they can say, you know, we're not that dominant. It's not so bad. And by the way, we're doing a few things to make your feet a little more warm and fuzzy. So so you can come back and you can bring grandma back. Let's invoke grandma again. Uh, and, and everybody right. will be safe and happy and wonderful. Um, they did, of tout international growth, which was interesting. And it, it reminded me of uh, you know media companies uh, where uh, whatever's going on in the U.S., the international market seems to be going in a different direction, often up. And I often wonder what that means in terms of how the company that That has a U.S. sort of facing image uh, presents itself going forward. That could be a whole other discussion, but that's just another uh, thing I noticed, that um, they're not really talking about uh, decreases in time spent on site outside the U.S. Mm -hmm. They're focusing on the U.S. numbers for that kind of concern.
0: It's like a good sign and also a bad sign when you say, this year we're focused on having our product be good for people's well-being and for society. Like, that's really positive, except the implication there is right now we're not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, Ouch.
1: it's it's a problem, and you know I hadn't really thought about this idea that that maybe they're saying that time spent is down as a way to show that they're not as dominant as people think. I oh. Actually, I, I actually think that engagement is going to be a huge problem for Facebook going forward. Anecdotally, the number of people who've told me recently that they got rid of their Facebook accounts is, is going up. I I know that there was like a few years ago when social media started to really get prevalent, there were always those few holdouts who were like, you know, I'm going to be hipster and not have a Facebook account. And, but, but these are people who, you know, have been on Facebook for a number of years who are telling me, you know, It just wasn't making me happy. I wasn't getting anything out of it, so I shut it down. And that is Facebook's biggest concern. So it'll be really interesting to track what happens there and if they can get people to come back. Through these changes.
0: Well, we've got a couple of tech giants still yet to talk about. But uh, before we do that, let me tell you about one of our sponsors for this week's episode. This uh, episode of Download brought to you in part by our friends over at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. With Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about about. So whatever that is, like uh, Stephen and I do a podcast about space. And uh while we were coming up with the name, I just went out and registered a domain because we wanted to do a Tumblr associated with it. And I got liftoffpodcast.space from Hover because I thought that would be a perfect it makes me laugh every time I think of that URL that that's our URL.space. Uh and and uh, you can go there and you can see our Tumblr that's tied to our podcast. It's really cool. And um one of the nice things about Hover is that the domains uh, can be kept separate from your hosting. So in this case, I've got Tumblr hosting our our, our, uh, our podcast site, but the domain is at Hover. Um, and I can change that up if I want to leave Tumblr and uh, the domain just stays and I edit a couple things at Hover and it goes somewhere else. It's very nice. Uh, Hover has a best in class customer support team to take care of you if you have any problems. And they even offer a personalized email system. Uh, you can match your domain and get email to help support your online identity. If you want to send some email and receive email from that same domain that you just uh, registered and they have 400 or more domain name extensions there are so many now it's not just com and net and org there are so many more like space and many many more that you can get all from hover if you want to show the world what you're passionate about hover is there to help you make that first step go to hover.com slash download fm right now and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Hover for supporting Download. Apple's results came out as well uh, just a week ago. Uh, Natalie, what do you think? What do you think about the Apple? I mean, the Apple is like, there's so much there with so many of these companies. There's the, the entertainment angle, uh, where they're spending money on, uh, video content and that we've been watching that like that keeps happening. Mm -hmm. Um, iPhone revenue was up. iPhone sales numbers were slightly down, although last, last year's holiday quarter was a little bit longer and it's all just kind of a blob of, of, uh, uh, you know, I guess that my, my short version of the Apple quarter would be that they had a record profit and record revenue and are like laughing all the way to the bank. But what did you think about the quarter at Apple?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of it. It's uh, It was interesting to me that iPhone sales declined by 1%, though they did point out during their you know call with investors that that was because there was one less week during uh, the fourth quarter of 2017 compared with 2016. Um, but Despite the the decline in sales, the, the average selling price for phones was up by nearly 15%. And that is because of the iPhone X and the fact that it's got this $1,000 price tag on it. Uh, yeah. So that was really interesting. I mean, yeah, they're maybe selling fewer phones, but people are buying more expensive phones, so it's still working out pretty well for them. And, uh, yeah, you know, you're right. There's a lot to unpack here. I... I'm still, as a, as a, you know, kind of digital media reporter, still waiting for a little bit more insight from Apple about what, you know, these, uh, this TV plan is going to look like for them and, and how it's all going to work. We didn't get a lot of that, of course, uh, on this earnings call, but. You know, they seem unstoppable at this point.
0: The services revenue keeps going up. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's obviously where the video, this is going to be the next way that they goose the, the services revenue line to have it keep going higher and higher and and uh, generating more money from uh, users with additional services. You know, you throw in a video service and like we said about Netflix and about Amazon, there's more revenue to be had there if you get a lot of subscribers to a video service. So, and they you know, made-
1: they made it a goal to double their services revenue by 2020. So they've made that a real big focus for themselves. And in fact, it's it's a pretty sizable amount of revenue for them now. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of sneakily, uh, you know, has become you know pretty significant. So I only expect that to continue to grow with however they. You know, decide to start rolling out you know, these you know exclusive original videos that they're starting to produce.
2: Yeah, I was a little disappointed to see the the Mac downtick a little bit, especially since we finally got the uh, super fancy um, iMac Pro coming out. Uh, and, uh, and in the fourth quarter, I don't know that... Uh, I, I don't remember... Jason, you probably know way better than I do, whether Mac sales typically do well in fourth quarter, whether that's a holiday thing. Um, my guess is probably not. My guess it's more of a third quarter thing. Back to school, that sort of thing? It
0: goes, it goes back and forth. I think when you see a big holiday quarter you see a smaller um, back to school quarter and in this case they had a big back to school quarter so um, I, I you know i had a conversation on another podcast i do upgrade earlier this week where mike my co-host was focused on the max sales being down a little but if you look at the numbers it, the, the, you know the max sales were way up during back-to-school quarter. And I'm not sure that that isn't just a function of, did they sell more in, in September or October? And if it's September, then it looks different than if it's October. And that I, I'm not entirely sure that means anything, but yeah, the Mac sales were down a little bit. Um, iPad was not, uh, you know, iPad was kind of flat. essentially to, uh,
2: flat, which, which seems kind of like a good thing. It's good for because the given iPad. All the, given all the gloom and doom the iPad has gotten, or tablets in general have gotten lately, I read another piece that was not specific to Apple Uh, I think yesterday saying tablet sales overall are down. So it looks like Apple is is not on the decline as far as, as as much as it could be in any case.
0: And this is to the services point that that Natalie was talking about. This is the second consecutive quarter where Apple has generated eight and a half billion dollars in services revenue, which is a lot of money. Like, let's just oh, yeah. put it that way. That's a, that's a lot. And, and keeping in mind that you know they are on track, they said to to more than double, I think, their services revenue by by 2020 from when they made that goal um, in 2015. I want to say so they're 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 building a business that's going to be generating what forty billion. Billion dollars a year on services—that's that's a lot. Oh
2: yeah, and and frankly, I think that's a number that a lot of people, when they want to pick Apple apart, uh, don't take into consideration. They look at, well, there have been problems with this product or problems with that product. This product is down a little bit, but Apple's you know services, whether you want to call it a backstop or whether you want to call it their next big thing, uh, is going to generate an awful lot of money for that company. And uh, the, I think it also uh, speaks not not only to the, the new services coming online, but the, to the increasing stability of existing services, and people are feeling like they want to spend money to, to and, and can rely on those services, really, because I think early on with iCloud, uh, there was reliability issues with Apple Music. People didn't know what it was, what it was about, whether they wanted to invest in it, and that seems to have changed some, and then people are continuing to anticipate uh, video services, and so it, it feels like that is a, a good and, to some extent, unheralded uh, asset for them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It was the second largest segment in terms of revenue bef- behind iPhones during... During the quarter, so that's that's pretty remarkable. Um, I also I don't want us to ignore this other products category that like yep. is kind of oh, Apple's yes, catch all for everything <laughs> from the Apple TV to the watch to Beats headphones. HomePod will probably
2: be in there. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, you know that that segment was up thirty percent. Um, for the year. And, uh, Cook noted, Tim Cook, the CEO noted specifically that Apple Watch sales grew by 50%. Uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of questions about the demand and the market for, for Apple Watches. And so it's interesting to see that that is starting to, um, you know, find its, its kind of user base and, and, and group of people who want to buy that. Um, I also think, you know, again, because I focus on the, the media side of the stuff, the Apple TV, we don't get a lot of details about how many of those they sell. They are based on lots of estimates. Um, Apple TV sells significantly less than, you know, Roku or Chromecast, some of these other kind of lower price point uh, devices. Uh, but all of this services revenue that they're generating – if we're talking about, you know, movies on iTunes and we're talking about original series, people want to watch that on the best screen possible. And that could really be impactful for the Apple TV and sales of, of that particular device going forward in the years to come. So that is, you know, in, if, if you're asking me why Apple is suddenly, you know, going to do a morning TV show drama with Reese Witherspoon, it's because they want to sell more Apple TVs. So it'll be really interesting to, to watch and of how the rollout of these new shows impact sales of that particular device.
0: Somebody wanted me to point out uh, on Twitter that uh, when we talk about Apple services revenue, we can't forget that... um the App Store is also in there. And the mm-hmm. App Store is all oh, it, you yeah. know. It, it is not a <laughs> new source, and it continues to grow, and we focus on the new. But the App Store is also a big revenue driver and continues to be. I'm so glad that you brought up other revenue. It is such an interesting line um, because it seems boring because it's a, just a grab bag. But in there, the whole wearables thing, I read an analyst report last week that said that they estimate that a- Apple has the lion's share of the entire wearables market if you consider AirPods. The wireless Beats headphones and Apple Watch as wearables, um, a, a, and you look at the market that way. They are bring, they are bringing in a huge amount. Um, and a- although they, like Jeff Bezos, uh, don't want to release details of Apple Watch sales, the Apple Watch has had fifty percent unit growth and revenue growth for four straight quarters. And um, it, by all accounts, if you if you stare really hard at that other revenue graph, you can see that the Apple Watch is doing. Pretty well like it, it continued it is not a thing that kind of had a bump and then and then went down it has been growing and has had uh, had record revenue in the last quarter so uh, a lot of stuff going on in Apple I mean Apple Apple size is kind of hard to keep. Uh, keeps uh, track of because it 's mm-hmm. such a large company, but the truth is that it 's got a whole bunch of very large like the Mac business is a big business by general business standards but in inside Apple it seems small and services seem small and th- the other categories seem small and the iPad you know actually seems small, but isn 't really it 's just that when you 've got a company that 's doing so many different things in so many different areas and then you 've got this giant iphone business it, it, it's it 's hard to sometimes to pay attention to anything, but how do the iPhone sales do? There's a lot going on at Apple. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about Google. There's, there's some news and there's also Google results. Um, so let's start with the, with the, the, the financials natalie what what's going on with google
1: yeah it was a big miss for them this quarter uh they uh you know they they reported earnings of of nine dollars and 70 cents per share which was not what people were what analysts wall street folks were expecting um their revenue came in at 32 billion and some change um you know it's it was a disappointing quarter for them and uh I, again, I, you know, I focus on, on the YouTube of it all. They don't break out a lot of the information about YouTube, but I can't help but feel like the issues that YouTube had last year with advertiser concerns over brand safety uh, probably impacted them more than they're willing to let on. I'm curious what the rest of you guys think about the other aspects of their business.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the YouTube thing seems to make sense. I mean, I think in a, in a similar way to, to Facebook, the, the sort of personality, or it's not even quite the right word, but the sort of soft aspects of their brand kind of took a hit because of bad behavior. And uh, I I'd, I'd, I'd haven't spent a lot of time looking at the way Google expresses its results, but clearly uh, YouTube has been a generator of a lot of money for them, but this has been a, a difficult year. And I don't know that they've done anything that makes me think that it's going to change. They haven't come up with any sort of grand plan to make it better or uh, put a stake in the ground as far as this is what our, what our YouTube brand means and, and how we're going to make sure that we, we make it addressable to all audiences, including families. So I, I kind of wonder going forward, what's the fix?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a question. It's worth noting that Google attributed a lot of their uh shortfalls this quarter to an increase in traffic acquisition costs. So, you know, what they pay to Apple to make sure that Google is the the main search engine that you see. Um, you know, so that's interesting and they expect those costs to continue to (laughs) climb too.
2: Yeah
0: so um yeah it's it's Google is a complicated business although <clears throat> it's becoming less complicated because one of the things that's going on here is that um I saw an analyst suggest this week I think it was an analyst maybe it was just a pundit saying that what will be left of uh, alphabet in a few years will it really just kind of be core core Google again because Nest is being sucked in back inside of Google hardware when Nest was bought by Google they they made the announcement that Nest was going to run on its own and everybody kind of raised an eyebrow like does that make sense um, Tony Fidel has long, long since left um, and this is sort of like the last shoe dropping which is uh, the CEO of Nest is going to report to the person who runs Google hardware and basically nest is now in and google hardware has grown now that they're building so many different pieces of hardware themselves um but i mean I, it's funny. I think maybe everybody was convinced that they didn't want to ruin what was cooking at nest when Google bought it. And it turned out that there was really nothing cooking at nest to ruin. Um, But uh, does this make sense to, to take nest and uh, just kind of suck it inside of Google? I'm
2: startled that it never left. And perhaps that had something to do with the agreement they made when they acquired it, but it, it could be, it always seemed to make much more sense for it to be inside of Google. And especially now with all the competitive pressures with Amazon and Apple. And I mean, it just, it's, it's kind of a duh, as far as I'm concerned, a no brainer.
3: <laughs> I think too. There's a real, I think there was a consumer trust issue they had to overcome that people may have felt, you know, 18 months ago or two years ago, however long it's been, may have felt uncomfortable with a Google branded security camera or you know home safety product. But I think with things like the Google Home and the even Amazon with the Echo products, people are, I think, more comfortable with that sort of thing now. And so I I don't think they're going to do a lot of damage there. I think people who have tinfoil hats on about Google weren't going to buy a Nest product anyways, because it was just adjacent. Uh, So I'm curious to see how that goes. But you know, I've got a lot of Nest products at home. And there's no denying that the company has been very slow to iterate on them. And there's a lot of stuff that other Products like their products can do that Nest stuff just doesn't do. It's just been stagnant, and so I'm hoping this is a real shot in the arm for them to to improve what they have, especially improve the services side of it, and to really to really improve what they've got. Because the the core stuff that Nest offers is really good, and I really like my Nest products, but I want them to do more. And uh so I'm I'm excited by this move.
0: Yeah, the um the fact that they, you know, really invented this smart thermostat category and had a several years lead on the competition and had the backing ultimately of Google and yet you look at a little company like Ecobee that just kind of came in and uh, they keep iterating and they've added lots of other compatibility that for political reasons, the Google hasn't like home compatibility and they've got like external temperature sensors that, that uh, nest never added. If you need to uh, set your thermostat based on a temperature in a different room than where the thermostat is, there are lots of things. And that, that's just one example. You look at how much uh, the home camera business has thrived and uh and nest has just kind of been like they've made some iterations but you know they had some advantages there um bringing in drop cam like and you can go across all these categories i'm surprised that there isn't like a dedicated nest uh uh, canister security camera kind of concept like so many products that are out there it's just like it just feels to me like they they could have really killed in this category and they've just been super sluggish, and I don't know whether it's the distractions going on with being integrated with Google or what, but at this point, yeah, it feels like, you know, maybe just hand this off to the people who are churning out the Google Home and the and the, the new phones and all the other kind of interesting stuff that, that Google is doing, because why why is the Google Home separate from the Nest thermostat, right? there's Honestly, there's no reason for that.
2: Well, it might sell some Google Homes to people who've already invested in Nest gear. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've, I've had a Nest for a long time. I've always been astonished that the software has never... Never improved at all. Now Google <laughs> yeah. Google is not particularly known for its uh, fit and finish as far as software goes, so I don't feel like that's going to improve. But it does seem like I mean, I uh, it, it seems like this is. Going to make people more likely to feel that they have to choose an ecosystem if that wasn't already the case. Uh, so if Google and, and if Nest becomes more Google-fied, sure you're going to sell some more Google homes, but are people going to say, "Wait, I've already got an Echo, uh, maybe you know a HomePod at some point"? Uh, what which team do I choose? And which whether you uh, do that based on the particular tinfoil hat you wear, as some people do, or whether you just do it based on what product got into your house first? Uh, it, it does seem like it will help. Google sell other stuff and maybe just just pull market share from Amazon is probably what it's more likely to do.
0: Well, well, we'll see. Um, I have One more Google thing that I wanted to mention before we move on, which is that the Waymo Uber lawsuit got underway this week in San Francisco. Now, Waymo, if you don't know the name, is the Google Alphabet, actually subsidiary, but part of the Google collection of companies called Alphabet, that is in self-driving cars. And there is, of course, a famous story about how somebody, uh, Uber hired somebody who had been at Waymo, and there's an allegation of stealing corporate secrets. And there's all sorts of uh, good stuff there. I just wanted to mention that this is going on. Um, there's a great story that we'll put in the show notes um, about uh, about this by Sarah Jiang, uh from The Verge. Uh, just made me laugh. Like, first off, this is an actual point in the in the uh, in the trial. Waymo wanted to play the Michael Douglas "Greed is Good" speech from Wall Street in court. Why would they do that, you ask? The answer is that there was an email, and I'm not kidding here, that was sent by the principals involved in this. That was a link to the greed is good speech with the text, wink, wink. Wink. And Waymo wants to say this is what was you should know, jury. This is what is being uh, implied by that by that statement. That's just bananas, and that's happening in a court in San Francisco. Travis Kalanick, the deposed uh, head uh, and and founder of Uber, is in court apparently wearing a suit and not acting too much like his uh, his his uh, his bro uh reputation um but at the same time sarah jeong's story tells a story about how when she was done with the trial one day she gets in a lift of course to go back to the verges uh hq in san francisco and the driver says hey are you a lawyer were you coming out of that uber lawsuit uh, or the uber case um i know travis kalanick he's basically he's totally guilty <laughs> like what is happening? This is, I don't know. I, I mean, it's very serious. It's intellectual property theft. is very serious. And yet, the spectacle of it, I don't know. I was taken by it. I don't know if there's more to say about this or not, but it, it seemed kind of hilarious to me that, what, that it's like the sideshow aspect of it, at least.
1: I'm really looking forward to the Uber movie that comes out in five years. Oh, that my God. Just, you know, I mean, the and, and I follow it kind of more from a personal level than from a journalistic level, because while Uber is important to... Hollywood. Um, it's not, not a a media business, but it's just been, it's just been fascinating. Um, and I know even New York Times writer Mike Isaac, who's been covering it all, is, is working on a book. So I just have oh, yeah. to imagine that there's going to be a really great movie in a few years, and I look forward to that.
0: <laughs> it's going to be brutal, but uh, it could be great. Um, okay, we're going to talk about some more stuff. But first, I want to take a break to tell you about another sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you in part by Text Expander from our friends over at Smile. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander, create powerful snippets to save you time. Just type a little abbreviation, Text Expander. Does the rest of the typing for you so you can save time. And if you're a slow typist, especially, you know, you type a couple of characters and a whole sentence can appear. It's great. Uh, website URLs, email addresses, directions, mailing addresses, meeting agendas. I found that I was answering like the same three questions all the time in email uh, with the same answer. And I thought to myself, why am I composing the same answer every time when I can put that in a text expander snippet? And then every time people ask me that question, a couple of characters and there's their answer and I can move on. Saves a huge huge amount of time. You can summon it on Mac. You can summon them on iPad. You can summon them on iPhone or Windows. You use a quick search or type a custom abbreviation and pop out they come. And if you're working with a team, you can even share your snippets with them and they'll sync and you can keep all your snippets up to date. So if you and three colleagues are answering the same question, you can have like the one answer to keep everything aligned, everything uh, in sync. It's pretty Great. There's a uh, crossover now with the Drafts app. If you use Drafts, you can use your snippets and drafts for seriously powered productivity. And there's scripting support. So if you're interested in more advanced uses of Text Expander, you can script. Text Expander. If you spend any amount of your day typing, you need Text Expander. It's the smartest way to improve the workflow of your communications. Here's what you do go to Textexpander.com slash podcast, and you'll get 20% off your first year. Just tell them you heard about them on download. Textexpander.com slash podcast. If you're near a web browser, just type that in right now and get 20% off your first year when you tell them you came from download. Thank you to Text Expander for supporting download. All right, let's move on to the story you might have missed. This is something that may have flown under your radar, but it's worth mentioning. Now, I know smart glasses sounds like a very old thing that we pointed and laughed at Google Glass and uh, that we haven't we moved on from smart glasses to other things. But no, Intel has shown off something called the Vaunt smart glasses. Uh, There's a really nice piece by Dieter Bonn at uh, The Verge about this that we'll link in the show notes. Um, Dieter, took them for a spin they look here's the key they look like glasses they don't look like you've got a computer on your face they don't look like you're gonna you're, you've been uh, turned into one of the borg they just look like glasses they don't have a camera so people don't get freaked out that you're taking their picture and it uses a small low-powered laser to beam contextual information on onto your retina basically so it's painting a little heads up display with a very very low power laser on the back of your eye so that you can see it um, and otherwise they just look like glasses they show you stuff from your smartphone information like directions or notifications Intel didn't isn't really talking about like how you interact with it whether you will talk to the glasses or whether you just use your phone and, and use this as kind of like a heads up display it's unclear they say they're going to launch an early access program for developers later this year but what I took away from this is um, somebody out there realizes that the that if you're gonna put smart glasses on somebody's face they actually need to look um, normal and the, uh, the the coolness of some things that I believe have been used in military applications before for pilots and things like that of painting um, a display on your eye directly with a little low power laser that's a pretty cool thing too so have we you know did Google Glass make us sick of this or are um, are, are you intrigued by this? Shelley, what do you think?
2: I'm really intrigued. I, I am an absolute, was an absolute Google Glass hater and enjoyed my curmudgeonly dislike of Google Glass, not only just because it was obnoxious, but because I saw all sorts of problems from, I, I, I care a lot about accessibility. And so I thought, wait, we have to look at this camera in our eyes. Uh, but since I've, read and played around a lot with augmented reality apps, I've gotten really interested in the idea of glasses, of wearables, as a different means of sharing information, both input and output. And whether these specific glasses are the ones that make product or not, I think they're obviously a big advance over Google Glass, and we have the advantage of an understanding of what augmented reality can do, and I guess to some extent virtual reality too, but I'm thinking more in terms of augmented reality as a uh, productivity uh, option for glasses connected to your phone and so I'm really intrigued by it and i'm I'm curious to see what developers will create and as I say I think it should and can go beyond simply transmitting data from your iPhone onto your retinas but hopefully you'd be able to gather information from your environment that would then go back to your iPhone and then you could could act on that information, whether it's uh, navigation related or whether it's uh, uh, obstacle avoidance for an except person who needs uh, uh, visual assistance, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm kind of uh, getting on board of the glasses train after having been uh, curmudgeon about it for a long time.
1: You know, I I tried out the Google Glass. I mean, like, I went to a demo and checked them out and and walked away feeling like, this is just doing everything I'm doing on my phone. Why do I need this to be in my glasses. And the only thing I can think of is that the benefits of having, you know, smart glasses would be so that you can be hands-free. If you work in a job where you, you know, need use of your hands, but also, you know, need to be checking directions or information or, you know, what have you, maybe you're standing in a kitchen and you want to cook and you don't want to have to like get your phone dirty by scrolling through a recipe. Uh, Until someone gives me like a really good reason that I need to wear glasses, like I'm just not sure that I'm the market for this. But it's, I mean, these look great and they're really interesting. So I'll be curious to see kind of what people come up with them. But it feels like this is technology that's still... A few years out from from yeah. being a reality for the majority of consumers. I mean,
0: at least at least they look they look like glasses. I think that the the, the Google Glass stuff was just so disquieting because people were like, you're, "You're you're taking pictures of me, and what are you wearing on your head?" And then like having things just sort of fade away is a little bit um a, a little bit better so i like that and i like that you know you, you don't have a screen floating in front of your face it's this completely virtual thing that's happening where it's just drawing in your eye which i know is going to freak people out but you know light hitting the, your retina is how you see it's not you know it's happening all the time this is just a, a different way of directing it onto your uh, onto your eye um i i don't know if any of these wearables are going to become maybe but are going to become like a majority of people because I, I start to feel like it's going to end up being per, you, like you said Natalie use case and also personal preference like what works for you because if you've got a smartwatch on your wrist and it's tapping you and you know that's using your, your sensation of feeling in order to give you uh, a, a note that you need to pay attention like if I'm using Apple Maps and I'm driving with my Apple watch it taps me on the wrist to tell me whether to turn left or right get off an exit at a freeway and stuff like that that's cool and then I can also look at my wrist really quickly without pulling my phone out of my pocket For other people The phone is fine um, Apple's AirPods Is another example Of like You know If you've got voice assistants And Google's got uh, It's head- headphones too You know You you do that And then you're using your, your sound and voice In order to do interactions And then there are glasses To give you like a heads up Like It feels to me like I mean I guess you could Use all of them And maybe we'll all be Cyborgs in 10 years And we'll do that But you could also Pick and choose maybe Like what works for you And so You know Maybe this is just Another piece of the puzzle Instead of it being like like the thing that has to be everybody's favorite, I, I, maybe the maybe with the pressure off a little bit, a product like this makes more sense. I
2: hope you're right about that. I think that absolutely makes sense. I am not much of a consumer of information via watch. I don't want to do that. I use my AirPods all the time, and I I can see value in having a thing mounted on my face if it does what I want it to do. But I like the opportunity to have a choice and not be told by the technologists, this is the only way you can have this kind of interaction.
0: All right. um, We have one more topic to talk about, but I will give you our last sponsor first. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom. Pingdom is awesome. I use Pingdom because they help keep your websites, and those are the websites that you have, and also the websites that you love to use, it keeps them online. It keeps them up. Like, how does it do this? Pingdom monitors sites. So you don't have to, you don't have to sit there. You're not going to sit there. You just go, is my site up? Is my site up? Is my site up? Is my site up? You're not going to do that. (laughs) Pingdom, that's what Pingdom does. And when your site's not up, it lets you know immediately, so you can take before you get uh, you know open your email and you find ten people saying, "Hey, is the is it down for for everyone or just me?" And you're like, "Oh no, my site's on fire!" No, um, you'll know immediately, and you can fix it. Every month, Pingdom detects about thirteen million outages. So whether you're running a small website or a huge infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and performance. You don't want your site to go down and know nothing about it until you get that. Pingdom. Panicked tweet or email. That's why you need Pingdom. All Pingdom needs is the URL that you want to monitor to get started. They will take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash relay FM. That's P I N G D O M.com slash relay FM for a 14 day free trial. Try it out, see how it works, and you'll understand why you need Pingdom to alert you when there's any problem with your website. And you won't need to put a credit card down to try it out for 14 days. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, so at the top of the show, I said, and I say every week, uh, the world of technology and other stuff you care about. And people may wonder, well, Jason, why do you say that when it's just the world of technology every week? Um, and the answer is because one of these days, Elon Musk is going to fire a giant rocket into space with a car in it, Ooh. and I'm going to say I care about that, and we're going to talk about space. Now, Stephen and I have a whole podcast called Liftoff that we talk about space every other week, so we'll probably talk about this a lot more then. But I wanted to bring it up because I think it was actually one of the big stories of the week. SpaceX launched the Falcon Heavy from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It is the it is now the biggest operational rocket. Only, I think, the Saturn V that was used in the Apollo program, it was and is no longer used, hasn't been used since the 70s, was a uh, heavier lifter of stuff than the Falcon Heavy is. And uh, it launched Tuesday. Two of its three boosters landed simultaneously back on land, which was quite a sight to see the other one crashed into the ocean instead of hitting the drone ship where it was supposed to land oh well um so i wanted to ask now i know that you know uh, natalie and shelly you're not you're not necessarily space enthusiasts at the level of 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 me and steven but like uh, from a from a just taking a broad perspective here um the 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 stunt aspect of this especially like the car video live of a of a spaceman Mannequin and a car in orbit around the earth. You know what Elon Musk said is it was silly, but sometimes silly is good, is a good thing. What did you think about this story? Um, you know, and and, and you know, I'm just I'm just curious from somebody who has not been waiting for Falcon Heavy to launch for five years, which is me. Um, how you how you read this story?
1: Well, so sadly, I was at jury duty all day on Wednesday when this happened. So or Tuesday, I guess. So um, I I followed along uh, as much as I could, but but didn't get to devote as much time and attention to it as I would have liked. But it's Fun and you know what, like it it harkens us back to these you know space race days, and I think that that's great. I, I. I feel like Elon Musk is a Howard Hughes for our time. And that is really fun. (laughs) And it's fun to have an entrepreneur like him with crazy ideas. And, you know, he he's gonna, you know, dig gigantic tunnels throughout Los Angeles. And he, you know, puts a a Tesla in a rocket and shoots it into space. I mean, why not? Like, he just he makes it fun. So I, I enjoy it. But,
2: you know, I watched a bit of the launch. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I was struck by, they had had color commentary, which was a great idea, but they also had a lot of audience audio. And so there was this weird sort of celebratory aspect in the coverage. So it felt very different than watching an old time space flight when an Apollo rocket would have gone off. And I was a little disconcerted about by it just because I had had the experience of watching those old space launches. And just so just that sort of performative aspect of it was a little weird. And the car thing, I, I'm trying really hard to get behind the car thing. I, I find it ridiculous. I also find it ridiculous when they put iPhones in blenders. So maybe I'm just grumpy. Um, but I think it's great that they're, I think that's great that he's he's gotten the rocket into space. I think it's great that there are uh, plans for uh, more of the same, but I didn't need to have the car going into space as, as part of it. Uh, it didn't entertain me all that much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well I mean the, the video is produced by SpaceX, so and they and they pipe in I noticed that too, they pipe in audio from their headquarters where their employees are in Hawthorne, California. And so um, every SpaceX launch is I mean, I gotta say it, it's like a it's like a Steve Jobs presentation, right? It's mm-hmm. like exactly it's, very much it's, so. It's an Apple event, it's a now a tech keynote, we would call it, where it's all staged. It is a company presentation of their product launch. It's not Walter Cronkite sitting there Although, as we pointed out on our podcast last week, uh during the Saturn, first Saturn V launch, Walter Cronkite was whooping and uh he freaked and, out, man. He freaked out. <laughs> it, it's shaking, <laughs> I'm holding the glass. Uh, but um but still it is it is a it is right down to the car and playing the music and all of that. Like it's a SpaceX production. They are producing they they what what they want the world to see of what they're doing. That's definitely part of it.
3: Yeah, it is. And it's I, I understand the the criticism of, you know, why didn't you use this for something scientific or for something of value? And the answer is no, no one was going to pay. No one, even for free, would put their very expensive satellite on top of an experimental rocket because this thing could have could have gone sideways. So Elon Musk said it was like 50-50. It was going to just explode. Yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> oh, so, so the one detail I really liked, I think NPR covered this, was that apparently uh, the Russian news service reaction was your third booster blew up. It was a failure. So <laughs> he just totally ignored the rest of the launch. But that third booster,
3: crap. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, they didn't land it. But, I mean, definitely a, a successful flight. And, you know, the car will be up there for a while until I read some article that, you know, uh, trying to guess when basically radiation and, and objects in space would destroy it. Uh, it's gimmicky, but you can't deny that people are talking about it. And one of the interviews I watched with uh, with Musk, one of his points was, that they, SpaceX wants the public to be excited about this next generation of space travel that I think the Falcon Heavy opens the door to. And yeah, it's it's weird and gimmicky, but it worked if that was the goal, right? People are talking about it. You know, I, I told Jason, I went out with some friends Tuesday night a couple hours after uh, we wrapped up our coverage of it. And that's all anyone wanted to ask me about. You know, they wanted to know what I thought of it, you know, if it was a silly idea or whatever. And so I think... I think from that perspective, if the goal is to get people excited and talking about space stuff again, then they've done it. And, uh, you know, we'll see where they take it in the future. Uh, This rocket opens a lot of opportunity for deep space exploration, returning to the moon, eventually going to Mars. And uh, I think all that's good stuff
0: the uh it, it's funny the um the challenge here is that if you view this if this was just a billionaire paying a lot of money to barely shoot like a car into space so that he could say look what i did and i think some people have interpreted it that way then i think the criticism would be completely justified which is like why are you wasting money and time on this stupid stunt but the truth is that falcon heavy is a huge milestone in terms of it boosting our ability to launch things into into orbit and way beyond beyond and this is a first mission where they had to fund it all themselves because they couldn't really get anybody to put expensive equipment on this thing that might blow up and they just decided rather than it being a block of concrete they would add that kind of like flair to it of putting the car in there to capture people's imagination but like there is substance too it's not just the flair it the, you know it was also a substantial thing that had lots of good reasons for existing and the starman thing is just yeah that was the that was the sugar on top but it was not you know it was not just a silly stunt there there's a if it had been a concrete block it would still be huge news to to nerds anyway but i think with the car it becomes something bigger um and that's why they that's why they do it marketing um well you know space it's it's good that we're talking about space again i think that's good steven and i support that and uh a lot of people in the space community are very excited about it because it's uh it's, uh, you know, going to give access to things like the people who want to go, the people who did the Pluto mission, the New Horizons mission, like a lot of them were whooping about how great it is that Falcon Heavy went up because um, they could theoretically launch a new probe to Pluto and not have it spend eight years slingshotting around the solar system in order to get to Pluto. They could actually fire it off with a Falcon Heavy straight at Pluto and it would get there much faster that way. So if they want to do more Pluto science in their lifetimes, Falcon Heavy would enable it in a way that um, the other rockets we have wouldn't so we will see where 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 Elon Musk goes next (laughs) I don't think there will be more cars in orbit anytime soon though all right uh, we have one last item on the agenda which is uh, Stephen found this article and it's what we call the fuzzy puppy update which is something that makes you feel kind of happy at the end of the show in case we brought you down with our topics Uh, and this this one the puppy is not fuzzy Uh, Stephen can you tell me what this story is about?
3: Yeah. So uh, this is one of the things I had no idea about, and I collect antique computers for a hobby, uh, which is completely normal. There is a a large number of people, like uh, people who play retro video games or people who participate in esports, who want that sort of authentic experience of playing on a CRT. And, and then the the term of like the esports uh, people they want as little lag as possible and CRTs are very fast refresh rates and so there's this whole like underground uh, group of people who are going around and buying up old TVs old CRT displays and restoring them putting them back together rebuilding them and making them available to these communities so This article uh, on The Verge talks about this, going into these things, you know, going into these old buildings and and purchasing all this stuff and then rehabbing them and then making it available to people who want to game on them or people who want to to participate in eSports. And I think it's just great because CRTs are uh, extremely bad for the environment. They're extremely difficult (laughs) to recycle safely. And if they can be reused and put back Mm. into working order, it keeps them out of landfills. And that's awesome, and it made me feel good inside. So I wanted to share it.
0: All right, that's your fuzzy puppy update. CRTs don't put them in the landfills. That's true. I like the argument here. They're so dangerous that they should be saved. <laughs> that's, that's like right. that's yeah. where we are now. We're not going to make many yeah. new ones of these. I was watching um, an old episode of Babylon Five the other week from the '90s, and there was a they, they did they concealed most of their tube displays, their CRTs, in like the props in the sets, so you couldn't see that they weren't futuristic flat screen displays. But there was one episode where there was like a medical laboratory that had an overturned uh like giant like whatever it was 20 inch crt and i and i just pointed at it and i was like uh oh (laughs) there it is you've given away everything this isn't the future after all but who knows maybe it's maybe that was a gaming display maybe it was rehab for that that's 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 my headcanon now thanks to you all right well here's what to look out for in the week ahead um next week we'll live in a world where everybody will have a home pod or not Probably not, but some people will because the Apple HomePod comes out on February 9th. Um, and I'm sure other things will go on and we'll talk about them next week. But that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Uh, Natalie, where can people find the stuff that you do?
1: Yeah, all of my stories are on HollywoodReporter.com and I'm
2: on Nat Jarve on Twitter.
0: And Shelly, where can people find the stuff you do?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Or if you would like to buy a book about accessibility, which is not being shot into space, as far as I know, you can go to iosaccessbook.com.
0: Excellent. Well, it has been great having both of you on. We talked about a lot of things from space to money to old tech. Thanks, Stephen, for that. I do what I can. Yeah, your influence is felt. I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Until next week, we'll keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody.